You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. They attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. The following exchange was published in a British humor magazine, Punch. On April 3rd, 1957, it is reprinted here as an appropriate introduction as a mental and a mental exercise to limber the mind for the material contained in this book. What are banks for? To make money. For the customers? For the banks. Why doesn't the bank advertising mention this? It would not be in good taste, but, but- it is mentioned by... But it is mentioned by implication in references to reserves of 249 million or thereabouts. That is the money that they have made. Out of the customers? I suppose. They also mention assets of 500 million dollars or thereabouts. Have they made that too? Not exactly. That is the money they use to make money. I see. And they keep it in a safe somewhere? Not at all. They lend it to customers. Then they haven't got it. No. Then how is it assets? They maintain that it would be if they got it back. But they must have some money in a safe somewhere. Yes, usually 500 million or thereabouts. This is called liabilities. But if they've got it, How can they be liable for it? Because it isn't theirs. Then why do they have it? It has been lent to them by customers. You mean customers lend banks money? In effect, they put money into their accounts, so so it's really lent to the banks. And what do the banks do with it? Lend it to other customers. But you said that money they lent to other people's was assets yes then assets and liabilities must be the same thing you really can't say that but you just said it if i put 100 dollars into my account the bank is liable to have to, to pay it back so it's liabilities but they go and lend it to someone else and he's liable to have to pay it back so it's assets it's the same 100 isn't it yes but Then it cancels out. It means, doesn't it? The banks haven't really any money at all. Theoretically. Never mind theoretically. And if they haven't any money, where do they get their reserves of $249 million or thereabouts? I told you. That is the money they have made. How? Well, when they lend your 100 to someone, they charge him interest. How much? It depends on the bank rate. Say 5.5%. That's the profit. Why isn't it my profit? Isn't it my money? It's the theory of banking practice that... When I lend them my $100, why don't I charge them interest? You do. You don't say. How much? It depends on the bank rate. Say half a percent. Grasping of me, rather. 
But that's only if you're not going to draw the money out again. But of course I'm going to draw it out again. If I hadn't wanted to draw it out, I could have buried it in the garden, couldn't I? They wouldn't like you to draw it out again. Why not? If I keep it there, you say it's a liability. Wouldn't they be glad if I reduced their liabilities by removing it? No, because if you remove it, they can't lend it to anyone else. But if I wanted to remove it, they'd have to let me. Certainly. But suppose they've already lent it to another customer. Then they'll let you have someone else's money. But suppose he wants his too, and they've let me have it. You're being purposefully obtuse. I think I'm being quite acute. What if everyone wanted their money at once? It's the theory of banking practice that they never would. So what banks bank on is not having to meet their commitments. I wouldn't say that. Naturally. Well, if there's nothing else you can tell me, then... Quite so. Now you can go off and open a banking account. Just one last question. Of course. Wouldn't I do better to go off and open up a bank? Salutations, Sass Stackers and Kin. You're listening to a boy named Sue. That is Mr. Sue to you on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. And <laughs> that was fun. That was that was great. This I'm very excited for the series. So welcome to the inaugural first of many episodes of the chapter review of the creature from Jekyll Island. And of course, I have an accomplice with me today and hopefully throughout the rest of the, the series as it unfolds. But I, uh, I'm being graced with the great presence of Uncle Jim. What's happening? We're on his hodl. Whatever you want to call me. Here's my face, face. reveal. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Here I am. Here he is. Awesome. So, yeah, this is going to be fun. We're going to learn some stuff. Let's do it. I, I like to think of this book as like the history of everything because it's not just about the Federal Reserve. We get into world wars and new world order and a bunch of crazy shit just out of this world. But we're just going to take it slowly. You know, we're going to have a little foreplay. We're going to ease into it and we're just going to. We're just going to hit you. We're just going to hit you with all of it. Before we hit you with anything, I, I do want to hit you that we are very uh, blessed and graced by our sponsor, Shift Crypto. That is shiftcrypto.ch. And if you learn anything out of this chapter and the remaining chapters of this book, then you know or will soon know how important self-custody is because not your keys, not your cheese. That's what we're all about. And if you enjoyed that little parable comic strip, whatever that we just went through, then you know that they're out to fuck you. And uh, when you got your Bitcoin on the exchange, it's not your Bitcoin. So if you want to change that and not be a moron and actually be your own bank and preserve your time and wealth and savings and all that, all that good stuff, then go to shiftcrypto.ch. And use the promo code Bitcoin made simple, all caps, no spaces. I don't think it's actually all caps, but if you want to be obnoxious and use all caps, please do so. But Bitcoin made simple, and you'll get 5% off on 
our boy Luke Mikic's favorite sleek, sexy, slender, whatever he goes gaga over. But it's a great hardware wallet. So pick it up and over your own keys. And that's pretty much it. We will revisit them throughout the episode. But let's just take this nice and slow. So if you're not familiar, Creature from Jekyll Island, I think originally published in 1994, uh, G. Edward Griffith, Griffin, Griffith, I'm pretty sure it's Griffith, dude spent like literally decades writing this thing. (laughs) And I think he actually started it as a book club in his local community. And it was just, there's been so many like different edits. Like a lot of books, I think started as essays and and originally published in 1994 and then i think 10 years later in in 2004 no 20 years later 2014 that's the uh that's the one that we are going through mainly because it's the um uh not unedited what's the what's the word i'm looking for the phrase uh unabridged yeah unabridged there we go thank you jim and it's got a, a little nice special section about the 08 crisis in chapter three which i'm looking forward to but that's what we are going to uh, walk through. And of course, it's about the history of the Federal Reserve and really a bunch of other stuff and the corruption of money and why fiat is cancer to uh, the soul. And it's just central planners playing God with people's lives. But also, this is the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast network. And so ultimately, we are trying to draw everything back to this is why we Bitcoin. This is why some money is important. And so obviously, that's going to be the main narrative but to kick things off if i pull up my handy dandy google doc sheet and uh we'll just get started on the essentials but as i'm getting the stuff ready jim how are you how are you doing man doing good doing good glad to be here obviously love the topic love the topic and then you know it's great you know we'll be able to tie it right into bitcoin obviously Um, awesome so yeah let's do the damn thing dope is that was that the train in the background is that, is that bad yeah that's great that. no it's fine it's fine it, it didn't even give a toot toot yet but a toot toot yeah jim what are you drinking this is a tequila anejo addictivo is the tequila my father-in-law nice. showed it to me so it's pretty good very nice yeah. yeah you don't you don't salt your rim no salt on this rim no no thank you i would straight anyway. up I'm not drinking. I'm being a sober boy today. All right, so let's just let's just kick it off. So, uh, in the inspiration of Murray Rothbard in Anatomy of the State, he basically identifies what the state is not, and I think that's appropriate to do that with this book and what the Federal Reserve is not. So, what the Federal Reserve is not is one. It's it's not federal. There are no reserves, and the Federal Reserve banks are not even banks, and so. The first section is basically covering the secret meeting on Jekyll Island in Georgia, at which the Federal Reserve was conceived. And the true intentions, I'm just going to like, you know, face reveal, show you the junk right now up front and center, is that basically the secret meeting, its true intentions was really the birth of a banking cartel to protect the members from competition. And it was just the strategy of how to convince Congress and the public that this cartel was not only not a cartel, it was an agency of the United States government and that they are the ultimate protectors of the public. So just to summarize this whole chapter, 
we're going to go and cover how it was the basic plan of the federal reserve system uh was basically drafted at a secret meeting in 1910 of november at the private resort of jp morgan on jekyll island hence the name of the book and those who attended i think made up conservatively a fourth of the world's wealth but i i don't even know what it might actually be like maybe 90 percent. who the hell knows and that's, that's conservative yes 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 very much so and so people who attended it uh made up the the financial institutions of wall street and indirectly europe uh, a lot of uh, incestual negotiations and and stuff there and so the reason that it was secret was basically pretty simple because if people found out that rival financial factions of the banking community had joined together then the public would have just you know sniffed a a, a skunk there and thought it was a possibility that these bankers were actually plotting an agreement in a restraint of trade, which was, of course, exactly what the hell they were doing. And so they had five objectives here, and that was to stop the growing competition from the nation's newer banks. We'll get into that. Obtain a franchise to create money out of nothing for the purpose of lending or for the purpose of giving the banks the VIG, with fiat money to get control of the reserves of all the banks so that the more uh, reckless ones would not be exposed to currency drains, which Uncle Jim here will very articulately explain, and uh, prevent run on the banks. Ultimately, get us, the taxpayer plebs, to pick up the the tab of the cartel's uh, just reckless uh, behavior with our money, and to, again, convince Congress that the purpose was to protect us, the public. And basically, these bankers had become partners with politicians in order to do that and has structured it as a cartel and to just make it a central bank. But you can't use a B word in this bank because Europe already did that. And so basically, one to again, uh, euphemisms are, are very, very common in politics or let's just call them uh, nice, nice white lies, if you will. And for the record, the Fed has failed to achieve its stated objectives because those, of course, weren't their primary goals. Because as a cartel, in terms of the five objectives that I stated above, um, they have been an unqualified success. But again, you know, uh, they said the quiet parts out loud through their actions. But as we will see, uh, Nelson Aldrich kind of revealed just a year after 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was in place that, hey, yeah, we kind of like made this so the banks could be in charge of uh, or the, the central bank could be in charge of all the banks. But um, let's just let's just get into it. So, Jim, if you want to uh, kind of paint a picture of uh, that fateful day, <clears throat> that fateful day, 1910. Sure. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, there were six guys, including Mr. Aldrich, that uh, aborted a train in Boston and went about a thousand miles south to Jekyll Island. Um, they were not, you know, basically they were told, don't tell them anybody your names. They went by first names. That's it. Um, two of them actually chose uh, the names Orville and um, Orville and um, excuse me. Goddamn the guys, uh, the airplane. Orville right and brothers. his brother. Thank you. The right brother. Excuse me. I can't think of the other guy's name. Orville and holy shit. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So they chose, the, they went as far as to do that. So they were disguising themselves. 
basically, um, so nobody knew of this meeting. So it kind of tells you what lengths they actually went to or went through to get, you know, to keep this a secret. Um, so yeah, where am I at here, Phil? Um, yeah, they they all kind of like do this, this like clandestine thing. Uh, and it was basically headed by Nelson Aldrich, who yes. if I pull up the PDF here, he was just a, a prominent senator. And uh, let me see here. He was a Republican whip in the Senate. Yeah. He was yeah. chairman of the National Monetary Commission. Um, worked for J.P. Morgan. Um, I think he was also... Uh, it was related to Rockefeller too. So I think it was father-in-law to John Rockefeller. So junior John Rockefeller, junior, junior. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I mean, it's just like a prime example of how incestuous like finance, this is what you kind of see in, in uh, like global, like domination or like oligarchs coming in and mm-hmm. they get so up top and create their own monopolies and they have a lot of power and influence over politics. <laughs> and so it's just really, uh, not surprising to see Aldrich and all the rest of these people basically able to pay off like the politicians, and it's just like this incestual, oligarchic, uh, you know, catastrophe that we no, have yeah. here. It and is. so basically, they all got into uh, they met when in went under fake names under uh, Nelson Aldrich's car, and the um one of the the porters it is funny like reading in between the lines here. They all got in the car, but the the guy that like let them in basically knew all of them by like first name and he's like hey by the way the reporters are out here and they want to know what's going on and i think uh davidson basically took him outside and like gave him a little talk and came back hey guys he's not gonna say a fucking word so i don't know if he uh paid him off or you know threatened him with some uh um early uh clinton inspired uh (laughs) tactics or whatever But yeah, basically they knew what, what they were doing here and yeah. to establish their cartel. Here, let me, run, I'll run through just the guy, the attendees here real quick too. You yeah. know, so we had Nelson Aldrich, right? He's Republican whip in the Senate. Okay. We went through him. Abraham Piet, Piet Andrew. He's assistant secretary of the United States treasury, grand nephew of Andrew L. Gray. Um, oh, excuse me. We'll get to that later. Actually. Um, Frank A. Vanderlip. He was the president of the national city bank of New York in the most powerful of the banks at that time. Um, he was representing William Rockefeller and the international investment banking house of Kuhn Loeb and company. All right. Then we have Henry P. Davidson. He's senior partner, JP Morgan, um, Charles D. Norton, president JP Morgan, first national bank, New York. Um, and then Benjamin strong head of JP Morgan's Bankers Trust Company, and then Mr. Paul M. Warburg, partner Daddy at Daddy Warbucks. Exactly. Yes. Um, who is representative of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England and France. Dun, dun, dun. Brother to Max, um, who was head of the Warburg Banking um, Consortium in Germany. So you obviously, yeah, this is a big uh, um, intermingling of, you know, Duck hunters. That's that's what they were doing. <laughs> I don't know what I want to call them. Yeah, duck hunters. Right. Yeah, and so, uh, and Aldrich didn't even own a gun, let alone know how to that, shoot one. That was so the point it, I was going to make. Yep. You're right. Yeah, yeah. He borrowed it from his friend. Just you know, so it shows you the lengths they went through to you know keep this a secret or disguise it. Right. Yeah. So, so this was a heavy concentration of all the world's wealth, and <laughs> they let, let's just kind of like get into that a little bit. 
So sure. there was there was actually a House committee on uh, currency and, and banking that uh, <laughs> that that sector within uh, Congress, I guess. Uh, but uh, it was under the they basically did an investigation on like, OK, who actually holds like all the, the wealth right. in in the world? Maybe not the world. Maybe I think it was just the U.S. Well, where is it concentrated? Right. And who? Yeah. Know, where is it concentrated? Yeah. So and it was under the chairmanship of um, his name was Arson Puyo of Louisiana. Yep. And he was actually like a spokesman of oil interests, ironically. And he tried to actually sabotage this committee. But I guess he was outnumbered by the people that were actually doing the investigating. Right. So it's, it's kind of kind of funny. Yep. And so the committee found that the proof of the country's wealth had concentrated in, of course, a few of the leaders in finance. And it was rapidly, uh, which uh, meant the rapid growth of money and control was just in the hands of a few. So I, I did some bullet points here. Maybe you can just open this up a little bit. But I thought it was really important to just explain any plug that's trying to invest, they don't like directly own that investment. So kind of quoting from the book, sure. uh, and this is a quote taken from the uh, committee report that they released under our system of issuing and dis- distributing corporate securities. One, the investing public does not buy directly from the corporation. The securities travel from the issuing house through middlemen to the investor. Only the great banks or bankers have had the power to underwrite or guarantee the sale of large-scale security issues. How is this done? Only they have direct access to the main springs of the concentrated resources made up of other people's money, which is in the banks and trust companies and insurance companies. So basically, we're stepping into stakeholder capitalism here. Only the minority of stakeholders at the top wield the power and control of the machinery for creating markets and issuing and distributing corporate securities. And these are people that like run the railroads and have like built kind of like, you know, industry tycoons. Dynasties. Yeah. And because they built all the shit that everybody relies on, they are the ones that can stick their hand into uh, the, the pools of wealth. Right. For their interests, for their, any venture that they really want, honestly. Yeah. 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 I Any mean, more, so that, no, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, I, I kind of, I was thinking going through it, you know, a day ago or two and just thinking about it and stuff. And it's like, all this money's tied up and these guys can actually tap it, you know, these reservoir reservoirs. Right. And I kind of was like kind of relating it to um, your 401k or IRAs and shit, you know, like, yeah, you can take that money out whenever you want. Sure. Um, you're going to have, you know, pay tax and then interest or penalty and interest on it. But like, so I kind of think it's like, <laughs> because you're tying all that money up for a certain amount of time, you're going to get this benefit, whether it's going to be, you know, tax-free at the end or you're, it's going to grow tax-free. Right. But like, what is that money doing while it's sitting there? Right. And I'm just like, are they tapping? Are they, they're obviously doing the same shit that's been going on for years. Right. And it's just kind of crazy. And I've just kind of tied that together. And then I'm like, is it like, is it actually worth it for me to put my money there, you know, and actually keep it there? And oh, because I'm, you know, you know, whatever I'm investing is sure is going to make some money, but like, it's kind of crazy. I, and I kind of tied that together and I'm like, they're fucking playing with our money and shit. You know what I'm saying? It's just so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's blocked by it, It's fucked. It's fucked. But yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So, all right. And so I guess that's, this now leads us to the, uh, the section on the, on the cartel. Where am I going out of order here? Concentration. Um, 
uh, the destination to Jekyll Island. You want to fill us in on some details here, Jim? Um, yeah, let me see here. Yeah, Syria. So, yes, like I said earlier, it's a thousand mile journey. It led them to Atlanta, then to Savannah, and then finally a small town in Brunswick. Um, yep, Brunswick, Georgia. Um, located on the Atlantic seaboard. This was this land was purchased by JP Morgan and several of his business associates um, where they came like, you know, every fall and winter to hunt duck, ducks, deer, and basically escape the rigors of the North. <laughs> um, so, you know, they came down here. The purpose of this meeting <laughs> was not to hunt ducks, obviously. Um, so the goal was, you know, to create a cartel. Um, but and then, you know, arriving there, you know, the whole town, it's a small town of, I think, maybe a 10, I can't remember, 10,000, probably less. And, yeah, I think uh, like two, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it was way less than that. Um, and um, so obviously everybody's kind of like, what's going on? Who are these guys? You know, and I think it was the town, I don't know if it's the mayor or someone, you know, basically told all the reporters and everybody, you know, it's, it's you know, he's just bringing his friends down to shoot, you know, to go hunting and stuff this weekend and Nothing else was basically said. The reporters believed them. They, you know, went away. Um, and then another interesting thing, all the maids and servants and stuff that were at the, at Jekyll Island, at the quarters or wherever they were staying, um, were switched out, you know, like they brought in a whole new crew just so they, you know, didn't know anybody that nothing could be said. Like, you know, again, going, showing like the links they went through to keep this a secret. I missed that detail. That's Sorry. so funny. They yeah. got it out. The people that, Wow. Huh. Yeah, yeah. New so, maid, new chef, fucking everyone. Everybody, gone. Yeah, exactly. Ah. So, oh, that's great. Yep. And uh, the story is confirmed. So, like, you know, uh, day by day, day, year by year, there are <laughs> publications and leaks of actually what happened. And yep. the first one appeared in 1916 yep. uh, in Leslie um, Weekly, as written by a young financial reporter by the name of BC Forbes who yes. later founded Forbes magazine mm-hmm. and it was um let me see it was actually in critical like acclaim and praise of Paul Warburg himself and it was very likely that Warburg let the story out during the conversations with the writer and then anyway I, I just want to read the opening paragraph here I think it's important mm-hmm. so picture a party of the nation's greatest bankers stealing out of the New York on a private railroad car under the cover of darkness, stealthily haying hundreds of miles south, embarking on a mysterious launch, sneaking onto an island deserted by all but a few servants, there living a full week under such rigid secrecy that the names of not one of them was mentioned. Least the servants learn the identity and disclose to the world the, the strat- strangest, most secret expedition in the history of American finance. I am not romancing. I am giving to the world for the first time the real story of how the famous Aldrich Currency Report, the foundation of our new currency system, was written. So I don't know. Oh, it just gets all like fluffy and secrety and whatever shit. But ultimately, they went here to create a cartel, and this is where I'm going to step in because I think this is very, very, very important to kind of just, you know, go through. So, what is a cartel? It's a group of independent businessmen which join together to coordinate the production, pricing, and marketing of their members. And basically, it's the purpose to just kill out all the competition and then increase profitability 
via a share monopoly over that particular industry. This one, obviously, banking. And so this forces everyone to pay higher prices for the goods and services because you don't have a free market where there's innovation happening and you have a lot of different competitors because cartel stomps out competition. And so here, uh, that's exactly what the representatives at uh, this meeting uh, tried to accomplish. And so the representatives of the world's leading banking consortia, we went over this already, but just to, again, emphasize, we have Morgan, Rockefeller, Rothschild, Warburg, and Kuhn and Loeb. Mm-hmm. And I want to highlight, underscore, whatever this point, because my brain has been turned inside out, learning about the Fed and the nuance of, of people members in a cartel yeah. so they were often recognized as fierce competitors of one another and to quote the book there's little doubt that there was considerable distrust between them and skillful maneuvering for favor positions in a, any agreement <clears throat> yep. so yeah they were able to basically get together as competitors mm-hmm and I mean, they basically had one one enemy that was competition. That was us. That was a club. Right. To protect that was their- a free market. But I just want to, and we'll come back to this this later throughout the sure. book, and and just tap into what we're seeing in the modern day of 2022, sure. and arguably June of last year, 2021, mm-hmm. where the cartel can break. They might think everything's hunky dory and aligned with the same agenda. But at some point that can be stressed because p- humans are going to human. And if their incentive changes, then they will, will steer course because money talks at the end of the day. But regardless, for the purpose of this chapter in this entire book, they basically came together and they wanted to stamp out competition. So let's talk about the competition. In 1910, the number of banks in the U.S. more than doubled to over 20,000 in a decade which is yep. insane. Mm-hmm. And most of them were coming out from the, the South and the West. And this started to make the New York bankers piss their pants and they were losing all their market share. So almost all the banks in the 1880s were national banks. And that meant that they were chartered by the federal government. And, gen- and then generally they were located in the big cities naturally. And they they were allowed to, uh, issue their own currency by law in the form of bank notes, paper money. Great. And even as early as 1896, though, the number of those non of uh, the non national non national banks had grown to. Uh, numbers are important, people. 61 percent, and then they That's already neat. held 54 percent of the country's total banking deposits. So the largest banks weren't actually <laughs> holding the majority of the money that was in circulation these non-chartered kind of grassroots banks were so private right yeah well private banks and um wow by 1913 what the hell is going on this is your friendly reminder to rate subscribe if you say the best things they come in threes like rate subscribe if you if you rate it five stars we can raise the bar subscribe so you can stay in tune Don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue.
rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. Not your keys, not your coin. If you're in Bitcoin and you haven't heard this, you're hearing it now. The value proposition of Bitcoin is that you are your own bank. You take complete self-custody of this thing and you don't need to trust anyone but yourself. As Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm pretty sure that all you Bitcoiner dudes and ladies out there can put on your grown-up pants and take self-custody. Honestly, one of the best options is the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. Because it's just sleek and voluptuous and lovely. And it's user-friendly. And that's what we want out of Bitcoin. We want to be able to store Bitcoin, access it, use it in a way that a toddler can. And that's pretty much what you're getting from the Bitbox O2. You've got your cold storage on a hardware device. And you can sleep soundly at night knowing that you're your own bank and no one else can come and steal your Bitcoin. And that's all possible with Ship Crypto's Bitbox O2. So if you want to put on your big boy and big girl pants and be a good Bitcoiner and actually own your money as opposed to putting it on an exchange or a bank, let's just call them for what they are, a bank, where they're rehypothecating that Bitcoin. And again, this isn't your Bitcoin. If you put it on there, it's theirs. And so it's not your money they're losing, it's their money they're losing because they're trying to use that Bitcoin to make more money, take the spread, the VIG, if you will, and honestly, they go tits up because they're bad actors and they don't care about you and your wealth because when your Bitcoin's with them, it's no longer yours. So if you want to bypass all of that, go to shiftcrypto.ch and snag yourself a Bitbox 2 Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple, all caps, no spaces for 5% off. A Bitbox O2 from shiftcrypto.ch because self custody is self sovereignty. Get that Bitcoin in the right hands, your hands. Maybe you uh, disconnected and then. This is weird. I don't think I did. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it, we're doing it live. Special guest. He's like, um, yeah, I gotta say something. Um, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys were wrong about something. <laughs> oh, oh shit! It's Corey. Yeah. Hi, hello. Corey. Can't you see him? Hi. <laughs> Sorry about that. Kick me out, bro. I uh, did not mean to uh, to do that. So sorry, I interrupted awesome. your flow. Well, it's I... okay, ladies and gentlemen. Corey Tusek, the man. This is great. The man behind behind the, the curtain of the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Corey, um, Jim, Jim, Corey. Oh, uh, wait, y'all yeah, met. Yeah, yeah, we met. We met down in uh, in uh, Miami, but uh, going is, to Miami. Is, I don't even think I knew that the Zoom app was opening on my computer. Like, I uh, think I must have had it open, and then yeah. I opened the computer. Like, I had closed it, and then I opened the computer, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Why do I see Phil and Jim?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, they're recording live, and somehow I'm in it." Phil's so like, um, oh, "What do I do?" I'm like, "I don't know. I hear you." <laughs> like we're going well that's um great that's, way to uh, fuck it up for us Corey. yeah i'll let you guys go um this is I'll, beautiful i'll just uh 
bounce. I hope it doesn't. If I leave, is it going to mess it up now? No, maybe. Just don't leave. Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll just stay and go ahead. Keep talking. I'll just listen. I'm going to I'll turn my computer. I'll probably uh, mute. everything. Yeah, your your yellow shirt's very distracting. Yeah. Is that another Star Wars shirt? What is that? No, this one's a hockey. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, so, okay. you know, that the yeah, not Star Wars today. I mean, usually I'm wearing a superhero or Star Wars shirt. So, yeah. Anyways. All right. You're sorry for crashing your episode. This is so funny. But this is awesome. <laughs> Thank God I was close. Fuck it. We'll do a lot. Thank God I was close. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fucking know what was happening. Yeah. I know. I just opened the computer. I mean, you know, it's, uh, oh, it was just going to check an email before I uh, <laughs> decided to sign off for the day. But uh, all right. Yeah. See you guys hey, later. Make sure you're on mute this time. Oh, I'm muting it. Yeah, you will not <laughs> pick up any conversation this time. <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway. see it. All righty. Anyway, uh, by 1913, when the Fed was when the, the Federal Reserve Act was passed, those numbers were 71 percent instead of 54 percent. So these non-charter banks held 71 percent of the uh, nation's wealth uh, by time after the uh, Federal Reserve Act was passed. And uh, the non-natural banks, um, let me see here. Actually, no. I uh, fucking redid that. I fucked it up. Anyway. Anyway. God damn it, Corey. (laughs) Just blame Corey. So so the majority of the the ratio of like uh, non-charter banks to charter banks, uh, basically non-charter banks made up 71% of uh, the market. And then they were now holding 57% of the deposits in the country. Uh-oh. And of course, New York bank, New York banks weren't going to have this shit. And ultimately this was a demonstration of the free market works, dude. Like let it, let it, let it roll. Just let it fly. Yep. Because what you had here is you had competition despite like the wildcat banking era where banks were going bust because yep. they, loaned up as jim's gonna explain but they just you know offered uh too many loans they didn't have the reserves and when banks do that and they fail they send direct market signals to the public to tell people oh this bank fucked up let's not do what they did and so you just have this blossoming of new banks and competition and and increasing quality like this is what jeff booth talks about and his book, The Price of Tomorrow, because I mean, yes, like innovation in technology, but banking is a, is a technology. And so when you don't have these arbitrary regulations uh, from the federal government telling you who can, who can't, I mean, they probably had some like guidelines, but you actually had this like renaissance of, of finance and you had all these different banks trying to do what they, they could. And you just had these grassroots banks eat the lunch of the big cat New York bankers. And it's, it's just, it's just really, really sad. Like that's ultimately why we can't have nice things because the state is threatened by our success and prosperity. And then central banking though, too, as well. Like, I mean, you know, this was the federal reserve bank that we're talking about now was the fourth one that was created in the United States. Right. So, yeah. So that's the other thing too, people, you know, you have to remember, um yeah just 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 to make that point yeah i think we get into that in a later chapter but okay. yes Maybe this we is do. Yeah, this was yeah. the first successful uh attempt slash con <laughs> successful right exactly 
Yep. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just sad to see that like the market, the free market always wins and deflation and an abundance of options were provided by the technological innovation from the free market that, you know, allowed it to happen. And so competition was also coming from a new trend in the finance industry, which was financing future growth out of profits, actual hard-earned capital that people held instead of debt or borrowing money that you didn't have <clears throat> and banking on that you were actually going to be a prosperous business and profitable. And so how did this all work out? So basically the outgrowth of just free market interest rates, essentially, because again, you have this experimentation of banking's going bust and then other banks forming and learning from those mistakes and having sounder reserve requirements. And so the ranks, the, the rates were low enough to attract serious borrowers who were confident of the success of their business ventures and knew that they were going to be profitable. And because of that, they were profitable and had the ability to repay on their loans and service their debt. And it was also, um, there was also an issue that uh, there were, uh, of, um, the, the rates were also high enough to discourage loans for frivolous ventures or right. you know, those of which that were of uh, alternative sources to funding like yep. debt or yep. instead of uh, using one's own capital. Yep. And so this whole balance of debt and thrift was then a result of a limited money supply, which was boom, boom, right there. to gold. Limited or, money supply. Exactly. That's so the cool. banks could create loans in excess. Yes, it was excessive, but there was like a standard was a that they abided by, which was the gold standard because right. sound money, sound money always wins. Yep. And then fast forward a little bit. So between uh, 1900 and 1910, 70% of the funding for American corporate growth was actually generated internally. Like, imagine that. Imagine we didn't like fucking ship all of our jobs to China or whatever, and we were a self-sufficient nation. And so this just made the industry increasingly independent of the banks themselves. You know, it's kind of like BYOB. Yeah. I mean, quite literally. I'm like, right. I'm very curious how, how many people actually, you know, kept their reserves at home you know it was like maybe it was like like the analog of like running your own node sure yeah i mean uh, you know during that time what do they hold yeah um yeah you would think or you would go to a bank that they were private banks that in your local town or whatever that you knew that you had some sort of a relationship with i'm sure you know what i'm saying yeah. and then when these private banks or these smaller banks or these wildcat banks like we've talked about you know start outgrowing or whatever holding more of the money than the banks of new york and the federal reserve that are excuse me these bigger banks in new york are holding they get pissed and they you know try to draw the money back to new york or whatever so yeah it's uh, you would think so kind of you know but because that's kind of how it was back then a little bit, but then, yeah, we'll get into it later, but yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And like, just one last thing on this, this whole uh, sound money is, is a contagion in of itself because even the federal government was becoming thrifty. So they had a stockpile of gold and that's just dramatically uh, led to them keep redeeming greenbacks from after the civil war. And so, I mean, everybody was like on a sound money standard and it was just mm -hmm. threatening like the, the, the big cats and their market share. So it's just, I mean, 
life is better when the money's not being fucked with and when people institutions are held accountable so right if right if there needs to be an institution which yeah to a degree we'll see but yeah, um to a degree but again this whole like i mean think think of living in this country where the government like had a balanced balance sheet like that's just fucking wild i'm yeah i mean like listen like when i yeah when i first realized that this was bitcoin you know and i'm going to tie it into bitcoin real quick but like bitcoin was a you know ledger system that you couldn't fuck with i'm like holy shit right like that's and that's what you're looking for because what is money and money is just a ledger system that's it right keeping record of transactions that's happened and and that's what the bank has taken over you know the bank is that intermediary you know that's doing that so but yeah we'll talk about it so of course the you know your rockefellers your warburgs whatever they wanted to stop this and intervene in this free market uh beauty by quote tipping the balance of interest rates downward to favor debt over thrift and the way they accomplished this was increasing the money supply, making it more elastic and basically disconnect the banks from the gold standard and make money more plentiful. So basically lowering interest rates to incentivize bad behavior just so the banks can make profit or a VIG off the customer by interest because that's how banks survive. Uh, It's not by being banks. It's by giving out loans, not holding your money, uh, spending your money and getting paid for that. Yeah, they only have one source of revenue, basically, or income. Not one, but you know, uh, it's interest. It's primary interest. Yeah. Is primarily it's interest on you know loans that they loan out. So, yeah, exactly. So, Jim, take away from here. Tell us about the. Um, let me see here. What section are we? Currency. Currency drains. Or... No, there's one before currency yeah. drains. The specter of bank failure. Oh yes. <clears throat> You can tie those two into each other, though, too. Current specter of thing failure, because the specter of um, failure is basically. Sorry, one second. Very good. Um, the uh, specter of bank failure is basically on the bank. So, anybody, you know, basically having everybody, you know, you know, everybody knows how to run on the bank. It's basically going to demand their money that they have deposited. At the same time, and the bank basically, you know, doesn't have it right. Um, so that was the greatest threat, I guess you can say, um, not from rivals or private capital formation, but from the public at large. Right. So that was the biggest threat to these bankers was the public all coming in, demanding their money right now. Right. Their deposited cash. Well, I mean, that wasn't the biggest because I like the book says the biggest was actually when the banks do that to each other, which is what currency drain was where, where they borrow essentially from each other to loan up or give out like crazy loans at low interest rates. And they basically loan out all the reserves that they have. And they think, Oh, well, I'll just go get more from bank B. So bank a borrows too much money and lends out too much money from bank B. And then bank C does the same thing from bank C. And then Mm -hmm. essentially they all go tits up and they're dry and they all had to default but you can elaborately kind of open that up uh, better than i just did no yeah yeah yeah, no so i mean yeah like the, what i what i meant by <clears throat> it was kind of the great like this is why they call it the specter of bank failure you know the greatest threat um didn't come from like the rival or the private capital formation that's what i'm saying it's like it was from pu- the public at large that's so like that's the one thing 
run on the bank from the, the people. Right. And then, which also, but like the other thing, like you said, I think, I don't know, we can figure that out later, but like, I'm saying that was a big threat, obviously. Right. And then the currency drain also, which um, was kind of like the same thing. Like I was explaining to you the other day, but like, it's like, so this was happening before the federal reserve before the central bank federal reserve bank system happened like before they created this you would have a currency drain which was in between banks not it's like a run on the bank but not the people it's um so the banks themselves I, and the institution like it's it's, it's, it's the banks, system going bankrupt it's, right it's it's inner bank so it's it's uptown bank and downtown bank um um, getting even with each other or settling with each other because say I, I bank at Uptown Bank, Phil banks at Downtown Bank, right? Or, or whatever, or here, let's do this way. I bank at Uptown and I go to the store, whatever, I buy groceries. My grocer, he uses Downtown Bank, right? He takes my check and goes to Downtown Bank to cash it, right? But my check is from Uptown Bank, okay? So um, if, so those, between those banks, they need to settle up. Like, so my grocer's bank, Uptown Bank or whatever, he goes to Downtown Bank, hey, you know, you owe us this money from like this. And if that bank, if the bank doesn't have it, then that's where the problem lies. So um, if, let's say, if both banks um, reserve ratios, if they were lending out, you know, like 95%, 92%, whatever it was, whatever it may be, say if it was 92%, it was bo- both of them were lending out at 92% ratio or whatever. Um, then that's fine. In the long run, it would all even out in between banks, right? They would settle up, it'd be fine. But say one bank did, you know, was lending out 98% and the other was 92%, that's where there was a problem. The other bank uptown couldn't pay downtown or vice versa, whatever it may be. Um, and so that was another way a, a currency drain could have, or that was a currency drain in another way, um, another uh, threat to these banks at the time before um, the Federal Reserve Bank was created. Um, and we can get into what the Federal Reserve, you know, bank wanted to do to prevent that kind of thing. Um, and they thought it was, well, we'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. But so. I mean, this was like the biggest threat that the uh, people in, in the, let's we'll just call it a cabal, the people in the cabal that like met up, this was the biggest threat to them because in 1910, the year that, that they met, that was the most common, common cause of bank failure. And that was during bankruptcy right that was the for banks the most common yeah the most common reason for banks that they created bank or declared bankruptcy in 1910 i believe was currency drains yes now to run on the bank because if you think about it um <laughs> most people were not demanding they're really i don't know if there really was you know a run it, it would be more common for one bank to be lo- loaning out at a higher or um having less reserves um be more common to have for a bank to have less reserves and then another and then having you know that difference and then having a currency drain um then opposed to yeah a bank run i guess so it um they tried to um (laughs) mitigate that risk i guess as we'll see but you know the more reckless banks they wanted to loan up right and what they and that what that essentially does is you're pushing down your reserves. You're pushing down your reserve ratios as you're loaning up. So. Yeah. Think about I, that. I'm trying to uh, find where it talks about 10 to one, just so we can make a 10 to one ratio joke. <clears throat> oh yeah. Come on. What do you mean? You got this 10 to one. That's what they're loaning up, bro. That's what it's. <laughs> yeah. We didn't just get that from nowhere. 
We didn't. We didn't. Uh, mm. Inside joke that people are just going to, if they don't know, if you know, you know, if you don't, you know, have fun staying poor. <laughs> um, but basically, basically, yeah, we have here that the, um, basically the way to, to prevent that from happening was again to create this cartel where you get rid of private capital and it all becomes public to where the, the federal reserve has access to the reservoir of wealth by having a network of banks and they basically all run on the same by the, the same protocol where they all are are following the same federal federal funds rate where the interest rate is going to be this you don't have this failure between uh banks where these other ones are successful if we all fall, if we fall, we all fall together, essentially. Yep. And then that's when uh, you know, daddy government walk. can come in and nationalize. We all walk the same, uh, the same distance from the line, basically, yeah. from the edge. That's how it was. Right? Before that, it wasn't. That's how, like we said, had those currency drains. Yeah. Yeah. Which was fine because either it's way. Just, it, it, it's the demand by money from other banks, right? That's what the currency drain was. And they yes. wanted to prevent that, like, because because everybody wasn't walking the same distance from the line at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and by everybody being on the same standard, people could actually blame, uh, you know, a bunch of other things and not the banks themselves. So, let me see, where is it here? Well, you could uh, shift, you could shift the blame to the public. Is the thing that was the goal? Yeah, yeah. So, whether you, it be trade to... deficits or right, where'd it go? They were talking about that. You know, fuck it. We do it live. Um, where am I going next? So, yeah, I mean, let's just like jump ahead to, uh, you know, the, the bankers utopia. There are objectives here. So they need to figure out how to stop the growing influence of small rival banks and to ensure that the control of the nation's financial resources will remain in the hands of those present. How were they going to make the money supply more elastic in order to reverse the trend of private capital formation and to recapture the industrial loan market? Yes. Uh, how to pull the meager reserves of the nation's banks into one large reserve so all the banks will be motivated to follow these same loan-to-deposit ratios or protocol. And then that would protect at least some of them from currency drains and bank runs. And then lastly this should uh, lead eventually to the collapse of the whole banking system, then shift the losses again from the owners to uh, the owners of the banks to the taxpayers. So we pick up the bill and we exactly. get the Exactly. We get the blame, but ironically they say like they're the protectors of the public for having this uh, set yeah, up. Yeah. Right. So what the fuck? Yep. So uh, Jim, take it from here. Yeah. Um, where am I at here? So, we kind of covered, uh, I was at the cartel adopts a name, but I mean, that's just like more yeah. minutia details. So let's sure. talk about Daddy Warbucks. Yeah, let's see. Um, the real Daddy Warbucks, Paul Moritz Warburg. Yes. Okay. Um, what do you want to say? Like everybody knows the little orphan Annie, right? The comic strip. That's basically... You know who Mr. Warburg was, or who that what that was basically. Daddy Warbucks was, or Annie was uh, created after uh, a guy that could have so much wealth, right? That he could uh, 
basically um, use that wealth to create good. But, you know, at the same time, he's, you know, running a huge cartel. Um, and so, I mean, it's just kind of funny. Um, he became, you know, like became well known on Wall Street and is an advocate of central banks. But then, you know, then it's just it, with all this wealth, you create so much, you try to create good things but then behind the scenes it's like holy shit <laughs> you know what the hell's going on here they're running a cartel um but yeah so i mean i don't know what else you want me to say about i mean that. it's just I, I think this is important because it's again like the corruption of uh you know big money well it's a, it's a facade i, I honestly, no yeah yeah you know it, what it's, i'm saying it's, it's, it's using it's, like, it's, it's using your influence to um just take control of, of the narrative of your perception to the public Right. You know, similar to like, uh, like Milo Yiannopoulos called like Trump his daddy or whatever sort of thing. And so like, yeah. we got like daddy Warbucks. He's here to like save us and knows how to, you know, best run he our orphanage. He helps all these people. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're like, we, the people are like the little orphan Annie and daddy Warbucks, he knows how to like run the books, knows what's in our best interest. And so it's this it creates this myth and like manifests this lie into reality and so if we jump to the section myth accepted as history here i mean i mean the accepted version uh, version of history is that the fed was created to stabilize the economy again protections of the public Mm -hmm. and of course that's not true like at all and so we can see through just the the failures of I mean, it's like they're just completely incompetent because it's been through us. Let me just read off this. So the Fed's been with us, helping us and protecting the public through all the crashes of 1921 uh, um, since its inception. Uh, it's been through 1921, 1929, the Great Depression, uh, 1939 recession, uh, the recessions of 53, 57, 69, 75, and the 1981 stock market Black Monday in uh, 87 and we have since then seen a thousand percent inflation which right now is probably like way over that because yeah. uh that was reported in 1994 and yeah. so god yeah. knows where the fuck we are now but it's destroyed basically probably 99 percent of people's wealth like with inflation and yeah. has only exacerbated the wealth gap yeah. and so I mean, let's, let's... Sh- it has consequences you know uh, yeah so it happens Obviously. yeah mm-hmm. so the, the point I want to touch on that, that the book does is by 1990, an annual income of $10,000 was required to buy what took only $1,000 in 1914. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. Yeah. See? Uh, that's what, you know, corporate debt, everything, interest rates, I mean, inflation, it's all because of this and it's they've it's funny how you know like how you think back it's like how do they keep it like this long it's just like the narrative has to be played out so well and they have these tools in their bag that they can use that it's just it's crazy thinking about it how you know they, they've kept the scam running yeah and the book mentions that this is like both p- political parties like the fed has just stayed there present and manipulating everything no matter who is in charge, at least on the surface. But at the end of the day, it's about the money, stupid. Mm-hmm. And so let's get into uh, 
for the first race in reason to abolish the system. So you want to take that? Go ahead. I lost my spot. Oh, I mean, the first reason to abolish it is that it's so-called objectives were lies. Like they were bald-faced lies. And it was just to create a cartel and it wasn't to actually stabilize economic prosperity. Ta-da. Go ahead. Sorry. You there? I'm lost. No, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I mean, you know, we there, it's the first chapter. It's like hard to like, you know. Yeah. I mean, we you, could you get, get into, into the details here. Going. But I mean, this book is kind of redundant, but for all the right reasons. Right. I think the um, the examples and stuff in it are great. Like when she get in, this, in the second chapter here and third chapter, you know, some of them like where they compare, you know, like, um, you know, being at a football game or whatever and that shit. But I'm not going to get into it. But, you know. And how it, they they compare the Federal Reserve System to going to a football game and what's happening. It's like if you're watching it, you didn't really know the rules and stuff, what was going on. And yeah, we'll the, the whole it, stealing your cap thing. It's, yes, it's great. Yes, yes. Exactly. I mean, it's not great. It's terrible, but right. But that, that's what I'm saying. Like you said, yeah. it's redundant. I mean, redundant to a degree, but um, it's a good story, I guess, if you will. Yeah. So let, let's try to tie this up to Bitcoin a little bit if we can. What? That we're talking about the Federal Reserve. What the fuck? Yeah. So I mean, what do you, I mean? I don't know, man. Like pretty blood, simple. Like yeah, but it's not, is it? It's it's simple, but it's not. Um, sorry. Um, the Federal Reserve is a central banking cartel, whatever you want to call it, authority, mediary that, that people use, that everybody needs banking or has used banking for what reason to hold, well, it's first started with, with gold, they needed to hold gold, things like that. And, and then trust comes into that, right? But why was it created in the first place, right? Why were these federal reserves created in the first place? Well, because we, we By said- By the way, it's it 420. Like, oh, what do you want me to do? I just want to share that. <laughs> Um, um, thanks, well, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. They no, create, yeah, no, they create, no, 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 yeah. go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, you're gonna go. <laughs> um, I forgot now. Trust, trust, right, right. Um, but no, but also, too, though, it was to protect their best interests, right? They are to, to prevent competition, like they wanted to hold their money, they wanted to remain dominant in their field or just in in the markets, in uh, the railroad industry, in, you know, agriculture, shit like that. Right. So how do you do that? You drown out competition by creating such a cartel like this, but like this also gets into the, you know, you have to talk about the creation of money and how that all happens too. Like, so this goes way back too, like into how, you know, all this, do I need a bank? What do I need a bank for? But like, what is the money? That's the thing. What money am I using? What is the medium of exchange at the time? And the state comes back too. It's just a lot of different things, right? So um, now when Bitcoin comes in, we can get rid of all that shit, basically, right? We don't need them to keep the ledger, right? I don't need the bank to keep an account of my transactions and I don't need them to hold it because why am I having the bank hold my money in the first place? 
because like, well, it used to be because I could put it in there for a savings account and get earn interest. But why am I earning interest? That's what people understand either too. Like, why am I earning interest on the money that I deposited into a savings account at the bank? Well, because they're saying, because you're going to go with the risk of <laughs> you're lending us your money. We're going to take that and lend it out. So because we're going to lend it out and you're going to undergo that sort of risk, like we'll give you a like certain percentage. <laughs> like, And it used to be okay, but now it's shit, right? So it's just like, just, I don't know where I was going with that, but basically you needed it for protection, right? Or something or something, you know, if I had a lot of money, like it was either, I wanted to make some interest on it, sure at the bank, or um, I got a lot of it. I can't put it under my bed or whatever. Someone's going to, you know, take it or something, right? Um, it's just like, you always put your money in the bank, but like with this, with Bitcoin, you do have some sort of, I mean, you have to be, you are your own bank. So like, you need to like, actually be conscious and have somewhat of a good security and OPSEC around it, obviously. Right. Um, but that's the best part about it. You don't have to deal with any other third party that's going to fuck you, which has been, I mean, you know, that's been happening forever. Um, it's an amazing thing. I mean, but we never really had this opportunity before either. And that's another thing. It's like, what do you do? What do you do if we had a hard, we were on a hard money standard and it's like, and what's the issue? I can't, you know, I can't throw my money across the world. Like I can't throw my gold across the world or whatever. I can't, you know, or something like that. We have to go through an intermediary or, you know, if you want to talk about like the Swift system and shit like that, like that's another fucking joke, like in story and just another, and it's just layers and layers upon banking and institute that your money has to go through just because you want to send a fucking wire somewhere. So I don't know I'm rambling now, but, um, no, like all great, good points. And I think to like bring it back to like the notion of a cabal of really influential people in finance that can't happen with Bitcoin. I mean, arguably it could, I mean, you can have Coinbase try to influence some developers, but we saw that backfire with the fork wars in 2017. Because, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. this is kind of getting into like a more, I guess, like psychological, philosophical like area here. But you just have like these toxic Bitcoin maximalists who are like, no, this is what our fucking money is. And that's how it's going to be. And my yeah. node is validating that this Bitcoin is going to be my Bitcoin for these reasons because code. And, you know, you can't do that like with the financial system no. as we know it. No. You can't check their system, right? You can't see. I mean, yeah, you can. You're gonna have to wait, but like, you don't know what's going on back there. And like, yeah, exactly. That's the beauty. That's the beauty about it. It's your money, and you get to, you get to choose what happens with it going forward. Obviously, through different like bips and consensus and everything like that. And then you get to choose how you protect it too, like your level of protection and security. Like that's the best part about it. It's like, yeah, yeah. You can, yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. It's up to you. It is up to you. Shout out, Bill. But, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, cool. I, I think I, I neglected my duties of um, doing three ad reads for shiftcrypto.ch, but here's a second mm-hmm. one, and maybe okay. I'll uh, do a, a extra one, third one towards the end. We pretty much approached the end of this episode, but yeah, if, uh, if you aren't a little... Uh, scared petrified after listening to us do this chapter review of chapter oh, one yeah. of the creature from jekyll island <clears throat> and uh 
understand that your money is something to be cherished and it is absolutely yours, then get your Bitcoin off the goddamn exchange, dude. Yeah. And uh, yeah. put it in a cold storage hardware wallet, shapescrypto.ch. Get 5% off the Bitbox 02. And uh, it'll help us out in, in the show out as well. Um, Jim, is there anything you think that we missed at all? I don't, I don't think so. Again, I, I feel like this chapter I mean, was kind of like redundant, but it was like a good intro, introductory. It's an over, yeah, kind of an overview, quick overview introduction to them going to Jekyll Island and what it was and shit, I guess. So yeah, I mean, the next chapters that we get into are going to be pretty juicy and yeah. I'm looking forward to obviously. Um, but yeah, this was good. I think until I go back and listen to it again and see, you know. Yeah, every everybody's <laughs> homeworth critic, but um, okay. I I, good, I would uh, advise people to pick up the PDF like online of this book for free, and just sure. kind of like read some of the the cliff notes and you can, like see see the pictures you, of what these psychopaths look like. They have a summary at the you know the beginning and the end of a chapter or whatever it is. You know, like you read those. I mean, you don't have to you know go through every chapter and shit. It's great. You can just skim it. You don't even have to list us fucking sound like assholes and try to. I'm, tell you I mean, I'm sure nobody is. I wouldn't be. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this is cool. I'm excited. Um, I'm gonna do better next time. I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out real good. Lay it out real. But, but this good. was, um, this was, yeah, like you said, a little redundant, kind of an overview of the whole thing. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah. When I first read this book, I was like, what the fuck? So it's highly recommend reading it or just browsing it or just flipping through the pages and everything. It's uh, definitely eye opening. Yeah. And I mean, it's because I'm a firm believer that markets are based on trust and i mean this unfortunately is is what happens when you have that corrosion and corruption of that trust when you're able to just have people benefit from stakeholder capitalism like we see in ethereum and other shit coins and it's just able to spiral out of control because the money is easily corruptible but again it all comes back to that very thing oh and incentives incentives like what are the incentives of person and that person that you know who is around all of that money or has access to all of that and what they do then what are their best what is in their best interest well obviously it's the fucking keep all this money right and we're going to try to keep all this money and do our best to protect it federal reserve yeah <laughs> yeah so good shit it, it just saddens me to see that like even a, a free market that did have all these like banks had optionality and People trusted one bank over the other. And you, I mean, still, like, it, it all comes back like to the money. And because there wasn't one thing that forced consensus of, like, okay, we can't make any more of this, then you just had all those free market options completely wiped out. And so, and so what excites me is that on the Bitcoin standard, because if we're being honest, we're going to have custodial solutions. And we don't even need to get into like, how not every single person on the planet is going to own their own UTXOs. Sure. We're all going to be using second layer technology some way or another to, you know, send currency to each other. And um, man, I guess I'm opening up a can of worms here, but I guess if the supply of money is kind of like fixed, uh-huh. then somebody owns the UTXOs. 
So I guess it kind of kind of brings back mm-hmm. that element of trust and using second layer currency based on on uh, on on gold, like like in the uh, wildcat banking era that we kind of briefly brushed over. So I guess yeah. the question I guess I guess the question becomes how how solid or how how efficient how well does bitcoin actually keep uh keep people liable keep banking institutions financial institutions liable and preventing from boom and bust to happen but cool. so and to just edit that or i guess append on it yeah. you're you're it's still healthy if we have boom and bust that happen like that because again, it would just send back the signal like, hey, you know, let's not do what this institution did and collapse like it did. Because now we're on Bitcoin and we are forced to abide by the strict supply of 21 million. So I guess I answered my own question, but like, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, what, what did you just say? <laughs> okay. Are um, boom and bust good? How did boom and bust cycles happen? Where did they originate from, right? Federal Reserve. Well, no. Every 10 years, right? Well, yeah, but you're going to have like boom and bust in general as markets. Like there will be bubbles, but those corrections will occur and they will be drastic, but they will happen faster. Like that is ultimately what happened. Yeah. When when those like the private capital right uh, based banks like that is yes. what happened right and or or yeah like you're right you're you'll fail then and you'll be out of existence and then the person will go to the next bank or whatever that's better right exactly yeah. um yeah no i agree i mean yeah um eventually hopefully yeah something like that you know well not eventually like hopefully bitcoin can grow to something like that which i think it has the potential but like there's a long way to go um you have to understand that like you just can't like blindly be like this is gonna fucking change everything right yeah it it, it's a fucking tool that we can use that is unbelievable that we've never had anything like this before right um and that's gives us the freedom to do whatever the fuck we want with our money um but you need to understand and go about protecting it and learning how to protect and how to take control over it so shit like these exchanges or something or whatever doesn't take control of it or your um regulators and shit taking over the exchanges and stuff which may very well happen and stuff like that like that's a huge focal point of you know any sort of regulator coming in and trying to take um stop bitcoin is the exchanges you capture the exchange and you know you could you could do a lot of shit with that then right you can you can um basically tag your bitcoin and see who has what and basically eliminating bitcoins you know it's an obviously it's an open ledger system but there's probably you know it's pseudonymous pseudonymous so like it's just yeah i don't know it's yeah. uh yeah rambling again but we can go on for days yeah well yeah. let's cap it there but that's a nice uh quick last minute plug transition for shift crypto dossier <laughs> get a hardware wallet like seriously get and, hard get hard yeah, get hard get hard money get hard yourself get a hardware wallet and the more bitcoin off exchanges uh the sooner we'll pro- probably see bitcoin moon and your whatever holdings you have will be very, very valuable. And then that might be the incentive uh, developers and just industry needs to figure out and uh, scale to fail and fail to scale. <laughs> so we can 
figure out how to best ramp up this, you know, what this Bitcoinized world's going to look like, I guess. But yeah, this is great. I'm looking forward to going through this series and I hope y'all enjoyed this very much as well. Uh, If if we rambled and went on tangents, then uh, you're just going to have to deal with it. Like I said, fuck it. We're doing live. We're doing it live. We're going to have Corey Tusek pop in on accident at times and, we're that just uh, that was good. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I did too. It's a nice little intermission break. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Cool. So you've listened to a boy named Sue. That is Mr. Sue to you, aka Phil Gibson. You can find me at Mr. Sue M R P S E U uh, on Twitter and Uncle Jim. Where can people find you? Twitter. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I mean, yeah. The honest at, node. Right? That's your honest hodl, I think is my honest. Yeah. Honest hodl, H O N E S T H O D L. Um, yeah. Cool. So yeah. that's, that's where we met and that's where we frequent. That is, uh, you'll hear us sound like assholes on Twitter spaces as well. And, and, uh, yeah, follow the show, subscribe if you like it and say the quiet parts out loud with us because that's what I think this whole network is about. And just going through this book and the history of everything is doing that exactly. Saying the quiet parts out loud. You're not going to learn the shit in school. And word, word. And uh, and until next time, peace out, Sinara, adios. And as always, as I say at the end of this podcast, own your failure, because God knows our so-called leaders do not. Toodles. <laughs>